Secrets from a Coach. Thrive and maximize your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson-Stavely of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Law, you all right? Yeah, I'm more than all right. I'm excited about this episode, episode 75. We are going platinum, baby. Oi, get in there. <laughs> if it's good enough for the Queen, it's good enough for us, right? Absolutely. What a joyous celebration that is, is that, uh, yeah, number 75. Wow. So um, what a wonderful way to celebrate such an achievement with looking at... So if February's month has been focused all about what makes great working relationships, so healthy as opposed to toxic working relationships, how do you create the space for team harmony? Today's episode, Debs, is the glorious topic of what happens when teams go bad? (laughs) (laughs) What might be some practical tips, some tactical strategies for handling team conflicts and disagreements? So I'll put it to you, Debs. You get such an interesting insight into all walks of working life. I tend to have more of the team kind of uh, uh, sessions. You tend to have more of that team or individual coaching. The topic of handling disagreements and conflict. How useful is that as a professional skill right here, right now? It is a really good professional skill to have right here, right now, because with people coming back into the workspace and it's different, People are having to maybe lean in to have conversations that are more difficult and they're avoiding them in some cases because they may not have the skills or know the language to use in order to move that conversation to a good outcome. So I'm finding that people are doubting themselves and they're worrying about whether they say the right thing, how might that person react. Um, I had a call this morning to do some one-on-one coaching with somebody about how they're going to handle a very a difficult, perceived difficult member of their team um, and how they're avoiding maybe having those conversations with them because of how they're going to react. And we had the conversation around it and I said, well, what's your fear? And they were going, well, in case they get up and walk out and they don't like what I say. And I went, well, that's their problem, not yours. You know, remind yourself of who you are, remind yourself of what you're there to do and all of that. So that building the confidence back up, actually, so that actually we do create harmony by leaning into some of those difficult or perceived difficult conversations around it. So, yeah, they came up with a plan as to how they're going to set it up. What's their, you know, four P's, if you like, placement, um, permission, partnership and process. So what does that look like? so that they can get the best outcome that they want and be clear on what it is they're talking about. I love it when you describe the four Ps. So just refresh us. I think we mentioned it on um, an episode kind of ages ago, but it is such a useful way to, for many people, what is the bit that they're a bit squeamish about is how do I start this entry into a conversation where it maybe has a, a likelihood of conflict that's there. So take us through the four Ps and can you sort of give us an example of how someone might set up let's say you and I had some beef with each other Debs <laughs> how <laughs> might you happen, Law. <laughs> I know I mean let's say there's some kind of outlandish idea that we've set a deadline and I've missed it <laughs> no that's never gonna happen right <laughs> no I mean obviously this is fantasy land I will always yes. be someone that sticks rigorously to a deadline but let's say there was an example where I hadn't and actually it was starting to do your head in how might you with the four p's 
engage in a conversation with me with a desire for us to deal with that little wrinkle and smooth it out. But how might that sound? Just for anyone here that might have some similar type of conversation that they think that would be useful to have. Yeah, so we would... Start that with, you know, I've got to have a conversation with you about the fact that you've missed that deadline. Um, and it's really important for me to understand what happened for you to miss that deadline so that we can maybe put some measures in place that would enable us not to have that happen again. Are you OK with that? And then you would say, yeah, OK. And then I would, it would be a given then. So that's placement. This is what we're here to do and this is what I want. And then the, the permission is are you okay with that? And nine times out of 10 people go yes, because they don't know the four Ps. And then it's a given that I will work in partnership with you as we go through the process of understanding what stopped you from meeting that deadline, what got in the way, what support I might be able to have given you. And then we, we lean into that conversation around that. So the two things you say out loud are the placement bit. So Law, I'd like to have a conversation with you about this. The outcome I'd love is to understand more. And then the permission bit, are you okay with that? And then the other two bits are what we call internal, um, where the partnership piece is, how am I going to be with you? So I, if I wanted to be com- confrontational with you, then I will be confrontational, as in my whole mindset, persona, the language I might choose to use with you will either make or break that conversation. So I don't want that, right? So I've got to be really clear on my partnershiping. Partnershiping? I don't know if that's a word, but anyway, um, with you. So do I care enough about you to be able to keep that relationship strong so that we can have a really great conversation about it? A lot of that is how I choose to show up into that conversation um, because that links into my self-awareness and how I manage myself to get the best out of that. And then the process is the process, which is the conversation itself with some outputs, questions, listening, um, with a clear plan of how we're going to move forward. That's the four Ps. Love it, Debs. Oh, I love it when you explain it because it just allows you to see it clearly. And I think this isn't about waffling or or kind of adding in lots of additional detail. In fact, I was counting how long it took you as I was listening intently, of course. That was about a 12-second setup. Now, the return on investment of you investing that mindful conversation for 12 seconds, how much potential rancor or, you know, kind of upset has that smoothed in advance? So that 12 second investment, 12, 15 second investment at the start of a conversation is the opposite of waffle, isn't it? It almost sort of stops there being more waffle after if things become a bit um, overly personal for actually what is a professional setup. So that's um, great. Um, example of that. Do you know, uh, there are three things, you know, I like my things in threes. No. Which is why I Three bullet points. (laughs) Three bullet points, three times three. There's your course, lovely. Um, (laughs) There are three things that I think add extra relevance to this skill set at the moment around handling team conflicts and agreements. Number one, through that robot lens. Could it be that for any of us who are imagining to be in the world of work for the next 10, 20 plus years, the simple conversations are going to be the ones that are going to be automated. So let's say you wanted to hook me up to some project management automation suite, which gave me the update as to when the deadline was due and would chase me from an automated reminders point of view. We're going to see the easy task of you giving me the flow of information more and more likely to be um, up, uh, uh, automated. What's going to be left for you as the person person managing that situation, whether there's a hierarchy hierarchy in it or not, is what happens if I don't play ball? 
the machine can't hold me to task because I can't negotiate with a machine. So I think what we're going to see is is actually these tricky, icky, sticky conversations are going to take more of a ratio of people's time than maybe they have 20 years ago because the easy conversations in our workplaces are more likely to be automated or done kind of via some kind of, you know, distant way. So I think that's the first thing, which is where kind of brace yourself. If you're not someone that particularly enjoys tricky conversations, handling conflicts, which is pretty much every human being under the sun. Yes, you're <laughs> um, not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> there is likely to be kind of more of these happening or feel like there's more because a lot of the simpler conversations might have been automated. The second thing that I think then means that why this might be worth a bit of a think in terms of how we handle it is, could it be that as a workforce we are a little bit rusty around these real-world skills of handling conflicts and disagreements. And the reason why I think we might be a little bit rusty in on that is that for many people, they're facing into a period of time where there is a real increase, sudden increase in the amount of socialising and socialising with people that are outside your little safety net where um, there's basically going to be a higher likelihood of people annoying you, irritating you. (laughs) Yeah. And things that might not go your own way. Because the third thing that I think also lends itself to, are we also not only having to have more of these because the easier conversation has been automated in the future, we're also maybe a little bit rusty about it because it's been a while maybe since we've had to navigate some of these kind of team dynamics. So things might, you know, kind of arise quicker than maybe they had before. And then the third thing is, is in the meantime, the algorithms in our life have become so sophisticated. They have learnt more about human behaviour because we've lived more of our life online in the last 24 months than any previous month. So what that also means is as humans, we've become a little bit spoilt maybe by the technology in our life, really personalising, one size fits one. But the thing is, is maybe the humans haven't caught up with that. <laughs> so a human is less likely to be hanging on your every single word, trying to work out the best way to ease any wrinkles, you know, pursue the flow of the conversation. That human is going to be as motivated in their own motivations, whereas all an algorithm wants to do on our phones and devices is serve us. So I wonder whether we are more likely to be triggered, annoyed, wound up and irritated because yeah. we're less used to things not going our own way <laughs> yeah. when we're communicating. Yeah. So that's yeah, my possibly. little insight, my thoughts <laughs> at the moment, thinking they've always been useful skills, but actually yes. could it be right now in this year of 2022 that they're even more premium skills than previous generations. Yeah, definitely. And I think that played out at a team day I was doing face-to-face with a team um, who had been told that they weren't necessarily operating as well as they should be. So they were, you know, a bit broken is what they were called. They weren't actually broken. They just lost their way a little bit and there were some bits that they just needed to tidy up on, like the patience to even step into a conversation and set the tone and what they wanted. Um, Also the tolerance level, because as you said, you know, they're so used to sending messages on teams and then boom, the team message goes out and then that's off their plate, it's onto somebody else's. So therefore the responsibility and accountability for owning the communication and the action that you were wanting people to do had maybe got a little bit lost in translation. So yes, you know, that day we did yesterday was about how do we regroup? How do we 
reconnect, if you like, as a team so that we can um, go a bit deeper. So not superficial, um, but go under the surface a little bit more, which is about trust. Um, Can I trust you to do the job I've asked you to do? Um, But if I haven't set it up right in the first place, then I'm just leaving it to chance. And when you don't do it, then that's when we haven't got very much patience around it and we lose our rag about how we lean into a good conversation so that we can get the better output from it rather than just fly off the handle because you haven't maybe, as you said, practiced those skills of being patient, tolerant, being clear on the communication, knowing what you want as an output and taking the time again to get to know somebody and how they work around here. Um and it was so valuable for the, the group um, yesterday because they were able to pick up on things, um, not hide behind email or Teams, and take ownership for them. I'm a big believer that, you know, if you're the one that starts the um, conversation because you've sent something out because you want something from others, you own it right the way through. You don't just do it and pass it on. You own it all the way through. So you get back what you want. So you would do the chasing. You would have those difficult conversations as to why somebody hasn't put you as a priority. Um, Because otherwise it's just like, oh, I can't be asked or it's over to them now. It's off my plate. So I think accountability is going to be critical as we move forward as well. I'm responsible for sending the communication out. I'm also responsible for getting it back, whatever that might look like. And anything that goes in between. I've been doing a piece with a leadership group uh, who have definitely got desire to bring more delegation back into their style. And so I've been doing lots of content, lots of conversations with teams at the moment about the difference between delegation and abdication. So I might be handling you the but handing you the baton of the baton, the baton, baton. Of the, the baton, <laughs> handing you the baton of the task, but the overall race. I'm still in charge of the overall accountability. So I might have delegated with a team member the task of project reporting. But if the project goes way over in terms of budgeting, I can't blame you because you were the one who was doing the reporting. I still have that overarching responsibility. So I think, again, that's that's something that can cause conflict is where there's been a, you know... Um, uh, lack of managing expectations, just even very simply, you know, if you ask a group of people, a new team member has started in your team, they've said to you, I'll have that information over to you tomorrow morning. What time do you expect it? And ask people to write on a bit of paper in the chat room the time in their mind what tomorrow morning means. And you end up with like a three to four hour time range. Some (laughs) people, tomorrow morning means 8.59, 08.59. For other people, it's 11.59. Sometimes there'll be someone that will say, well, as long as it's before lunch, and I'll take lunch around two o'clock. In their mind, they still classify that as morning. So when you then look at that, just how subjective time management is. I mean, how much um, uh, conflict does time management and differences in perceptions around time have in the kind of everyday working when there's never enough time, there's never enough resource. So the last thing you want is to kind of feel like you're hindered by people's time management. But equally, if in my mind, I think morning is, well, as long as it's got an a.m. in it, (laughs) but in your (laughs) mind, that's pre a 9 a.m. start, We've got a three-hour difference of opinion here in terms of what um, success kind of looks like. So that kind of clarity of, well, when you say, you know, what what does that mean in terms of expectations? Because it can be remarkable sometimes, the assumptions we make 
even about something simple as what mourning means. Yes, exactly. And I think that's so critical, actually, Law, the whole assumption piece. You know, I think, is it George Bernard Shaw's quote, is that communication is the illusion or something that's taken place um, where we think we've had that conversation really well, but have we? Um, So we're just assuming that we have, and we're assuming that people know what we want from them. But actually... How do we know that for sure? And that's certainly what came out of the, you know, the coaching conversation I had this morning was, you know, lots of things were being made up in their heads about the individual they were going to have a conversation with. And I just kept coming, how do you know that? You know, you're, you can't see into the future, you know, unless you've got a crystal ball, you, you know, you're not going to know how that person will react and whether it will actually be a conflict situation or not um, because you actually haven't had the conversation yet so it was really fascinating for me to watch them process that and go oh yeah you're right I'm not sure how they're going to respond I went absolutely because you know you're in control of how you respond but we don't know how somebody else is so unless we're really clear on um, I suppose what we call the four c's of teamship which is as you said, creating that clarity around it. You know, what's the purpose of us having this conversation in the first place? And, you know, where do we need to focus? And, you know, what does success look like for us at the end of this conversation is really key. So, you know, that's that's the create the clarity around it. Um, I think also the second one is about that, what we call coherence. So are we in total alignment with each other about what we're, how we're going to work? You know, how we're going to manage our time and our energy and our resources so that we get the right outcome? You know, so how are we going to work together as we, un, you know, aim to resolve this situation, whatever it might be? Um, and then there's a the commitment, I think, to creating the quality, the accountability for it, the ownership and, being responsible for yourself in that part you play in making it happen. Um, and that the last one is we've been talking about is the communication. Um, it has to be clear um, and you have to create understanding. I think that's what's really key. You have to create understanding. And Debs, love those four C's. And in light of the communication, I think one of the most practical, handy communication tools is something called the signposting technique, where you frame the question you're going to ask. Now, learned this working in the world of recruitment. Back in the day, people would be having phone calls with that. So you'd basically be asking a stranger what their current salary is. And people are quite cagey about giving that very personal information. Also, if they're job seeking and they're phoning a recruitment consultant, they're going to bang on an extra 5, 10k or whatever the <laughs> range is, because their desire and their motivator is for you as the consultant to place them in a higher salary role. But actually, that doesn't really help you as a consultant because you're less able to kind of work out the negotiation horizon and etc etc so the signposting tool is rather than blurting out the blunt question what's your current salary you pre-motivate the the person to then want to to respond to that feeling safe and secure and understanding where you're coming from so the little signposting might be in order for me to sell you at above average market rate what's your current salary and that little five second investment of preamble then actually just unlocks the other person to feel much more comfortable with it. So let's say you've got a meeting coming up and you're going to be asking what potentially could be seen as a provocative question, like what's your um, recruitment plans for next year? Because you're maybe talking about budgets or whatever. 
rather than just blurting it out and maybe the other person thinking you're trying to not spend money <laughs> but if yes. that actually might be <laughs> the opposite of it so to ask more of a question of in order for us to make sure there's adequate budget set aside what are your recruitment plans for next year and it is incredible how it just cleans that conversational space as part of that communication for people to understand where you're coming from in relation to your question because the things about questions is whoever is asking the questions is controlling the conversation and what that can then sometimes prompt is the respondent is then maybe a little bit on edge or a little bit cagey about the conversation they're about to be taken down. So that signposting tool, whenever I've watched, I mean, between us, we've watched thousands of hours of kind of team role plays handling conflict scenarios. This is like the WD-40 for a conversation. (laughs) If there are some squeaky hinges (laughs) that are, you know, could go a little bit within maybe what could be seen as a provocative or sensitive or challenging question, that little signposting technique in order for me to blah, 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 something that is of mutual beneficial. It's like a little bit of WD-40. So if you've got a conversation coming up and you want to reduce the likelihood of conflict or you think it might provoke a little bit of a sensitive or defensive response, in light of the four Cs, that communication bit, top tip, the signposting tool, you explain the reason for it and it just clears the space then to be able to land the question in the way you want it be to be received. Plus, as you said, it keeps everybody safe in that conversation as well. I think, you know, one of the things we have to consider is that ability to um, keep that relationship going. So that bit around, um, and that's where where empathy comes into it. But I think, you know, can we listen and hear and understand and respond with good intent and meaningful action to enable to keep that moving forward. Um, And as you said, the way we frame our conversations, so we might have to give some thought to that, right? Um, We might have to plan out how we're going to lean in to to start the conversation. Um, We don't necessarily know where it's going to go, but we need to have that ability to understand it first. And that empathy is quite a balancing act. It's not being too empathetic to go, oh, yeah, I can hear that or whatever. But it's actually making sure that we get the balance right in those conversations that we're having. So I think, you know, going back to what we said, you know, you will be the one that remains responsible for the way you respond to something. So like the conversation I had this morning, you know, it was how might you respond if that person kicks off in that meeting? So they were able to think about their response to it Because I said, you can't control how the other person will respond, which is the potential conflict. Um, And it's then knowing how you will respond to it, which then links into the whole um, emotional intelligence around conversations. So how self-aware are you of what your, if you like, triggers might be or what might drag you below the drama line, that type of thing. But also thinking about then, again, you're responsible for your management, your management of your own emotions um, and how can you manage those potential disruptive emotions and impulses to maybe fire back a question or ask them why all the time so that you're, you don't have that, um, I suppose, that harmony in that conversation that keeps it moving forward because we want to make sense together and we want an outcome. We don't want it to be repeated. So I think that ability to do that, manage yourself, manage your emotions, have an awareness of how the other person is being um, and what could be going on for them. But actually then keeping that relationship so doesn't matter how difficult the conversation may be, it's still have a, it's got a trust to it so that you're still building that trust around it and you're focusing on 
if you like, what the problem is rather than the person. So if you can work out, well, the problem is that you haven't achieved X, Y, Z, how might I support you, which is the empathy bit, so that I can provide you with even better direction or I can give you more encouragement or whatever it it may be? Because it's far easier to deal, if you like, with the problem or the process that isn't being followed rather than trying to fix the person. Because we're all human, as you said, it's easy to fix the algorithm, right? But when it comes to people, we're a whole different kettle of fish, right? Yeah, too right. Which is why I think we can take comfort, humans. There'll still be someone needing to pay someone else to have difficult conversations (laughs) (laughs) for the foreseeable because there's... Just think of some of the most wackiest scenarios that all of us have then had in our working life. There is no coding under this planet at the moment that would be able to cope with all those kind of variables. Um, And just a kind of a final bit on on that in terms of, you know, we've been talking lots with like the four Ps, the freight signposting tool, the thinking about the um, the C's, the four C's of teamship. Those are almost like the um, the planning tools, I guess, in your head. How can I be proactive? So if I think there's a likelihood of conflict or if we start to stumble into conflict ground, how might I kind of tread into that kind of well? I think just in also in sort of um, in balance with that as well, what happens if something happens right there kind of in that conversation? And this is something I picked up after about two or three years of watching some conflict team role plays, you know, a couple of, couple of week for three plus years. And I started to notice something. There's something called the enhance and reduce strategy that when it is used, even on the most mild-mannered professional people who are well-versed in, you know, negotiation and communication, it presses the buttons of the most mild-mannered person. And the enhance-reduce strategy is where one person, it might be purposeful, it might be accidental, where it's where I big up my needs or my pain or my hurt, and I downplay your needs or your pain or your hurt. So what that then creates is it just sticks a knife right in your stomach because you can see people going, how dare you? Because they really feel <laughs> like it's unjust because that need for there to be righteousness and just within and justice within a conversation cuts over any training course that you might have been on that's kind of told you what to say when you're triggered you're triggered so just knowing that that enhance and reduce strategy whether someone has done it on purpose or not but it's the act of where you feel like someone is playing up and bigging up their needs and downplaying your needs you can see it really kind of can spike you know prompt quite a spike in response so being aware of that means you can then see it for what it is. It's just words and you've got to watch your your emotions that spark as a result of it. Because I suppose that's then, as you you share and you know, we always share about you know, keeping above the drama line, right? Because if that hook takes you below the drama line, as you always say, you know, so we get involved in the emotion, the drama of it. It's how, how we can quickly can we recognise that to bring ourselves back above it and come back to, if we've set the conversation up well with the four Ps that says, this is what we're going to cover, yada, yada, yada. Um, If we have done that, then it gives us a point to stop that conversation if it's starting to escalate and come back to the purpose. The reason we're here is to resolve whatever it might be. You know, my intent is to support and help and understand what's going on for you because our goal or our outcome is to work our way through it. So if we can recognise when we're getting hooked and we don't always recognise it quick enough is how how we can come back above it 
with that purpose, intent and goal in mind. And if we've set it up really well, it's far easier to come back in and go, actually, I think I feel like we're going off topic. I'm noticing that we're moving away from what we were here for. So what I'd like to do is bring you back to the, our purpose or our reason for being here um, so we can resolve this today. Are you okay with that? So you can re replace somebody and ask permission and continue with the process and the partnership. Beautiful. And there is your ladder in what can sometimes feel like a game of snakes and ladders in a conversation. The snakes are there to, you know, whether it's the enhance and reduce strategy to hook you, as you said, drag you down below the drama line and having some of that ladder language just to take it back up above the line, exactly as you said, could be the biggest act of leadership in that moment, the biggest act of professionalism in our personal lives, fill your boots, chuck in the snakes, <laughs> slither after the snakes. But if it's a conversation we're getting paid for, and there is, you know, that, that's the difference, isn't it, between amateur and professional, we're getting paid for this conversation. And even just seeing the line for what it is, which is, you might have chucked a load, load of snakes at me, Debs, talking about my time management problems, <laughs> but it was my choice to wriggle <laughs> after them and yes. get involved in the bun fight. So there's two of us here who kind of, you know, need to keep as much above the line. But equally, it's very easy to say these things in the calm light of day when you're having a kind of, you know, reflective conversation. It's the skills right in that moment of truth where these things kind of are the proof in the pudding. So just even listening to something like this, reminding us of the tools that we've got, potentially we've always known this it's just we might be a bit rusty because it's been a while since you've had to do some of these things in a physical room with people and you know we've all been missing the chemistry together so we know that being in a room is different and with that chemistry sometimes emotions can heighten so the joy of being back in a room is great but it also means that we might need to be just a little bit mindful about how we deal with the less joyful aspect that is the <laughs> yeah. wonders of working with real life humans spot on law and i suppose that would link very nicely to my call to action for somebody to consider would be if we are coming back again, it's maybe resetting the, the boundaries or the way we work around here and maybe reiterating, you know, if we do have a potential situation and we call it conflict situation uh, where we're or disagreement, whatever, restating, you know, how as a team we will work our way through that. So it's again re-establishing the rules, if you like, of engagement or, you know, making sure that the team are really aware of we appreciate ideas and conflict and disrupting people's thinking and and all of that lovely stuff. But this is how we're going to handle it. So I think being really clear on how we handle it, if it feels like it's getting to that stage where we're knocking heads together, and then everyone on your team will go, okay, we know what we're doing. So therefore, there is clarity and people are aware. So therefore, they're not going to bump heads too often because you've been really clear on what and how we're going to work around here now. Now we are back in the physical space. Love it. And uh, Debs, my share of the secret would be, think of someone either in your personal or professional sphere of influence who maybe has got a bit of kind of conflict going on where they're working and they might have mentioned something to you in past and you think, hmm, 
share, get them to listen to this. Number one, it is just reassuring to know that you're not alone. Conflict is part of our human experience. Um, and there aren't that many people who relish the thought of having a conflict resolution conversation, which is why um, people will pay for those, you know, for the, for that service so that it kind of, kind of done with by someone else because there aren't that many people who enjoy it. And it's just a reminder, really, of some of these practical things in that moment. So think of someone in your life with whom would find the topic we've covered this evening on this session useful. And um, yeah, in the meantime, in this spirit of the month of love, so we've talked about what is a healthy versus toxic working relationship? What does that mean in terms of creating team harmony and how that impacts results? So today's conversation has been around what happens when it goes bad? So handling yes. <laughs> team conflicts and disagreements. And we're going to wrap up this month's focus with um, episode next week, which is going to be about embracing and welcoming that diversity of opinion. So what does that then mean in our everyday conversations or in those big ticket meetings where we actively look for those differences to flourish and how might we um, take advantage of that diversity of opinion rather than um, trying to sort of squash it because what might be the opportunity that we're missing so really looking forward to that because that's a real hot topic it is definitely and looking forward to having more conversations law for sure over the next week or so yeah lovely yeah I- i'll send it over to you in the next couple of weeks <laughs> <All right. Yeah. laughs> because the thing i've learned is is the more wishy-washy you are with the deadlines you give <laughs> the easier it is to be on time <laughs> I love that. I'm going to remember that one, Law. Yeah, happy birthday, everyone, plus or minus seven days. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. All right, lovely. Love you, Debs. Have a good week. Love you too. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're a Spotify listener, give us a rating as it makes it easier for us to share the secret with others. 